Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest for Super Tuesday is Casey Hunt, who is a political correspondent for MSNBC. She is currently out on the campaign trail trying to help us make sense of what the hell is going on. I had a lot to talk to her about and really enjoyed hearing her story and what it's been like covering election cycles. Since today is Super Tuesday, I feel like this is as good as any time to make sure that you are registered to vote. I know people move around all the time and some people who listen to this have just moved out of their hometown and it can all be a little confusing. A great place to start is by finding out if you are registered to vote and a website that has worked well for me is titled easily enough, canivote.org. It'll help you navigate through this mess and get yourself registered. Make sure to do it ahead of time. There are people out there that want to keep young folks apathetic about this whole process. Don't let them win, make your voice count. Okay, enough of all that jazz. Let's get into my conversation with Casey Hunt now. What's it like when when John Stewart puts like one of your clips on a show? <laughs> what does that feel like? Uh, what does it feel like? Um, it's you know you hope that it doesn't make you look bad. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite was when he played a clip of an interview I did with Mark Pryor, the senator from Arkansas. I asked him a very straightforward question about the Ebola crisis late in the midterm yes, elections, yeah, yeah. and he totally froze. <laughs> And stuttered, and John Stewart played it, and he said, and this was like one of the few times I felt like he was referring directly to me, dude, it looks like she found your porn. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't really know how to feel about that, right. but um, we did play it on Morning Joe eventually, uh, although, so, you know, I, it's, um, it's... <laughs> <laughs> you just hope that you it's, haven't said something the, that makes your, that makes you look really <laughs> terribly bad. Right, right. <laughs> so I was like doing uh, research for this, and like there was an article that was like, you know, uh, you know, six times Casey Hunt like tripped people up, and it's like, what? And this whole concept of like gotcha questions is so stupid to me, right? Like if you're an elected official, right, and you know these, you're in a position that like directly affects people's lives. You know, you should know what you're saying. You should know what you believe. You should just be on it and like. So as somebody who has straightforward questions to politicians, like, what has your experience been like with that? Look, I mean, I don't, I don't love the label gotcha questions. No, and I, I, it's and, so stupid. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, the thing that I've found when I'm trying to ask questions to politicians, I think a lot of times journalists can get really tied up in knots trying to ask the smartest question or like use the biggest roundup. The questions that I found to have the most illuminating answers are almost often the shortest ones. Mm-hmm. And they are often things that normal, sometimes I'll go into an interview and I'll think, hey, what is the most obvious question I could possibly ask of this person? And often that's the one that ends up being the most difficult. And, you know, sometimes it's often part of a bigger theme. When I was doing these Senate elections, the problem that a lot of these Democrats had was President Obama. So if mm-hmm. you frame a question the right way, it puts them in a difficult you know, position because they have to, you know, decide whether they're going to distance themselves from the president. It's it's thinking through it in that way. And, and right. I think trying to, to approach it like a real person instead of just, you know, somebody who's a political nerd. Or, or know, you know, I don't think there's much value in acting like you know more than than the people that you're trying to, to talk to about right, that right. subject. Yeah. So where did you grow up? I grew up a little bit all over the place. My family's from Michigan originally. Um, so I was born outside of Detroit. I was actually just there in Dearborn, Michigan, where my mom grew up yesterday with oh, cool. um, Bernie Sanders. Uh, and then I mostly grew up in the Philadelphia area. So mm-hmm. outside of um, about half an hour outside Philadelphia. And like then we in the Chamonix lived, area, Bucks County? Uh, Chester County. Chester you County, know okay. your Yeah, you know your PA, <laughs> your PA suburbs. Um, yeah, I graduated from Conestoga High School, okay. um, which is a public high school. Uh, which I uh, which I loved, although I, I also went to 
school for a little while in Florida. My family moved around a little bit. That's cool. How was that down so, in Florida? Uh, I like Pennsylvania better. No, yeah. no offense to the great state of Florida, um, but I, you know, I, I had most of my friends were in the in the Philadelphia area, gotcha. and that's kind of where where I, I identify with. Did you get Did you get upset when people call Pennsylvania Pennsylvania? <laughs> um i yes uh <laughs> i have to say i lived in probably the section of it that is not typically referred yeah. to as pennsylvania um I, but... I spent like four years in the middle of the state at penn state so oh, okay. i got a different a... experience sure yeah. yeah no a ton of my friends went to penn state uh-huh. and i you know i i can't say that i'm a i'm, I'm i ended up a michigan football fan so I, I and i have to say i'm a little bit against the expansion of the big 10 generally right. so you'll forgive me for being biased <laughs> against penn state that's fine but... that's fine um <laughs> what uh, so what was your experience growing up in, in pennsylvania like what kind of kid were you what kind of kid was i um i was i read all the time when i was in second grade uh my mom used to have to bug me to stop reading in the street because we walked to school cause she was afraid i was gonna get you're hit walking by a down car the street because reading. i was walking down the street reading a book um which as it turns out is the best way to learn how to write um which is how i started my career in journalism so um, yeah, I was a huge, I, I remain a huge nerd. I read every science fiction fantasy book there was, um, Robert f- Jordan, Wheel yeah. of Time, George R. R. Martin, before it was cool, okay, before people were yelling <laughs> Hoder in Times Square. Yeah. Um, I was reading that under, under my desk in geometry class. Um, you know, I, I had a, a few really close friends usually, um, off and on. I didn't necessarily have a great, a huge friend group. And then we moved around a little bit. So, you know, that's never the easiest thing. We moved when I was in eighth grade, which I'm pretty sure is the worst year to yeah. be in middle school if you're a girl anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and when you move away, it's even worse. Um, what was it about, like, the science fiction kind of stuff that you loved? You know, that's, it's... That's interesting you asked that. I, I mean, I think just the idea of being able to create a whole world from scratch uh, mm-hmm. and kind of imagine things that were outside the box. I mean, I read a lot of stuff that was very um, kind of theoretical, a lot of like apocalyptic stuff. Alas, Babylon, Ender's Game. I'm, I'm now dropping titles that many of your listeners probably won't actually. My roommate would be very stoked recognize. if he was home right now on this, trust me. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I liked being able to sort of disappear into a whole other place. Yeah, um, that's cool. And, you know, did your parents, did you kind of, I guess, let me, did you have an idea of of what you wanted to do early on? So I have been a news junkie since, like, as long as I can remember. And, of course, when I was, you know, I'm of exactly the age where, uh, you know, I remember what it was like to not have the internet Uh growing up, right? Like, I think a lot of, uh, I'm like the oldest of the millennials, I guess, we're like just barely in the millennial generation. And so... You remember signing on to AOL. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Mom, get off the phone. I want to get on the internet. Exactly. Um, You know, so that that happened, I think think my AOL handle included the number 12, which was how old I was when it was created, (laughs) right? Uh, When my family first got it. There weren't, I guess, the point being that I had to, when I was a kid, we, we got time magazine delivered to the house in addition mm-hmm. to the newspaper and so I sort of had to wait you know once a week this magazine would show up and I would read it kind of from cover to cover and obviously how we consume that kind of stuff has changed um but you know that I never thought about it as as though oh I know I want to go and be a journalist or oh I know I want right. to go and do this I just knew that I was obsessed with the news all the time yeah. um and I wanted to watch it and read as much of it as possible so uh you know I didn't really set out necessarily and even when I was in college I majored in international relations and part of it was September 11th happened when I was a junior in high school mm-hmm. and uh that reoriented everything for a lot of people who were uh, my age and it reoriented me toward you know from a I've always been interested in presidential elections and politics 
But that obviously turned everyone's focus outward to the Middle East, to these new conflicts we were getting involved in. You know, obviously I had a lot of, I ended up having a lot of friends who were, you know, very affected by the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan down the line. Um, you know, so that played a role in it too. So just to go back for a second, I mean, like you said that you were always a news junkie for as long as you can remember, like, where did that come from? I honestly have was no it just idea. Like, was it like, because, <laughs> no, but, but this is the thing, you know, you brought up Time Magazine. I remember my folks used to always have Time and Newsweek. Yeah. And I remember, you know, being 11, 12 and just like. The, the the photography in those were, were amazing and just like that would just draw you into these yeah. amazing stories like so I totally get that but like what was the thing that just like that like kind of like flipped the switch in your brain um well flip the switch in or the brain. or maybe that's not the case honestly I you know I just I don't remember there being a point where I didn't want to know as much as possible about what was going on and I guess the cable channels CNN had obviously been around a long time MSNBC was founded in the mid 90s so you know that came around later but I just remember always you know election nights always wanting to pay attention I remember um, you know reading the newspaper like starting with the funny pages you know when I was a real little kid yeah, yeah. but then you know branching out from from all of it I you know I, I think it, it goes with the you know wanting to read as many like I just I wanted to read everything that there was and if you you know before the internet everything was printed on a piece of paper right. sitting it was on the tangible. table so whatever it was it's like I was grabbing it and reading it you get a sense of accomplishment too <laughs> exactly yes <laughs> that we no longer I certainly do not get while I spend all day buried in my iPhone now yeah, you're never gonna get to the, the end of the internet this <laughs> no, is not gonna happen although I've gotten consumed. close I've gotten I bet close you have. yeah <laughs> Besides, you know, you know, consuming news and, and reading, how, how else were you spending your time growing up? Um, I spent a lot of time with my friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, um, I dated boys, <laughs> you know, much to my, my parents' chagrin. Um, I played in the marching band. I played the trombone in the marching band. Another yeah. fun nerd fact. So cool. Um, <laughs> marching band's cool, man. So There's no I, shame in that game. I loved marching you know? band. Yeah, a lot of my, most of my best friends in high school were also, um, were also in the band. Like Pharrell Fer- was in the marching band, okay? Was he really? Yes. Oh, I'm dropping that fact in yeah. the future. That is, that is some good information. Uh, yeah, you know, I watched, um, your typical cheesy uh, t- TV shows. I'm a Dawson's Creek era kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little too little too young for Friends, but a lot of Friends reruns. You know, I was yeah, I was a pretty typical kid. I played a lot of sports. I played softball, basketball. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to the movies a lot. I would go to the movies sometimes. You know, don't tell anybody. I used to sneak into more than one movie if I if I you know that's pay for one s- ticket. That's and- <laughs> how you're supposed to go to the movies. That's like how you're supposed to do it. Uh, you know, I used to. I, I've always I watch the Oscars every year. Yeah. And always have since I was a little kid. So you know, I I I feel like I didn't I didn't do that much out of the ordinary. I had you know pretty typical. I um you know I had two parents who are I fought with when I was in high school, but who I love very much and siblings you, know, you have any siblings i have one y- younger sister okay. who played golf a lot that was the one thing i didn't do i did not uh-huh. play golf my the rest of my family spent hours and hours and hours on the golf course that's when i went to the movies okay <laughs> um were, were, who were your people growing up like who were the people that you looked up to and that you wanted to kind of emulate the people that i looked up to um you know i had a couple of teachers in particular mm. who uh left a real impact on me from that perspective i had two history teachers who really made a difference uh one at at one of the schools I went to in Florida, Mr. Brown at St. Andrews, um, who was just, you know, looking back, I realized he wasn't that much. He was in his 20s at the time when he was teaching us and just had this infectious enthusiasm for everything that was going on um, kind of in the world and the connections uh, between things. The ship that was carrying the potatoes that crashed off the coast of Ireland that resulted in Ireland having potatoes, if that had never happened, John F. Kennedy would never have been president. And right. here's why. <laughs> yeah. You know, these kind of outrageous comparisons. That's um, cool. So he, you know, I... I that that was, um, 
you know, it's the kind of thing that like brings you in and makes you excited about mm-hmm. what's going on um, in the world around you. And then I had an American history teacher, Mr. Rosenthal, um, in my junior year, um, who similarly, the way he looked at the world and the way he was excited about what was going on and the fact that and that was when I was getting more interested in American politics and government and things like that. Um, and he just, you know, made it made it something that seemed actually, you know, exciting and interesting and yeah, no, that's really interesting because a lot of people that I interview on the podcast, majority of people do, when I ask this, that question, they do say that there was like some teacher that kind of affected them in a, in a long-lasting way like that. So it's really interesting. Yeah. So, and I, I had one teacher, You got to put more money in the schools. We do. I mean, don't you? I mean, don't you remember your my dad? My dad teacher? was a teacher. My dad was a teacher, you know? I f- <laughs> it's, and, and you're, you know, when you're young and you're, it's, they, they have, they can make some, so much of an impact. I had one, an English teacher, Miss Fira Killenbrand, who, and I think she knows everybody. Uh, most people hated her, but when mm-hmm. I look back, um, and you know, at the time she was she was so difficult. We were reading the Scarlet Letter, which I think has got to be the worst English assignment that any middle schooler yeah. in, the, in the U.S. has to deal with. Yeah. But um, looking back, I learned so much from her about how tough she was. And and you know, I've I've often thought back and think, you know, hey, like actually, I owe a lot of you know what I've accomplished to this English teacher I had my sophomore year, who refused, you know, who only gave me a ninety-two on this, <laughs> my Scarlet Letter paper. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's time for you to let it go. You can let it go. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> I'm saying thank you. Oh, thank you. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you kind of did you know that there was there a path that you wanted to follow? You kind of knew what you wanted to do, you know, in high school. Mm, so, well, I mentioned September 11th yeah. before. Uh, I wasn't sure 100 percent what I wanted to do, but I knew it was something oriented towards that way. And um, I went to. I ended up. I knew I wanted to study international relations because I wanted to figure out, I just kind of wanted to know more about what was going on. I wanted to be involved with, basically I wanted to be involved with the world and what was happening. Where did that come from? You know, I think uh, it's a combination of, um, I mean, I think part of it's, you know, I don't, I don't like being left out like any, any human, you know, I have that tendency in my, in my own kind of personal life. uh, And I, I think it applies to my professional life as well. Um, I also just am, I, the thing I like the most about journalism now is having kind of a front row seat to history and that sort of impulse has just always been part of my personality. Mm -hmm. I just, I I like to know the most or about what is going on and, and the, and, and trying to figure that out. And so on the international side, you know, I, I, for a while I thought I wanted to go work for the CIA or, you know, something like that, the state department, go abroad. And so that's sort of part of why I, I ended up going to, and I knew that when I, by the time I was graduating from high school, I knew that much about what I thought I wanted to do. So I, uh, I went to George Washington University. I studied international relations. And oh, cool. so I do apply, that's a school, you know, you have to apply to the Elliott School to, mm-hmm. to study that kind of out of high school. So I knew that much, but what, I didn't like set out to, to do journalism. And what was it like when you, when you were there and you were kind of studying, were you like, oh, this is for me? Or what, what, what was kind of going through your head? Um, you know, a combination of things. I, I loved, I loved the LA school. I loved being in Washington. It was a great, it was a great fit, um, for me. I, the, what ended up happening was, you know, I, I think I've always been more, um, you know, I liked going to school. I always, I always did pretty well in mm-hmm. school, but 
I like working much better. And I found, especially going to GW, the fact that it was in the middle of Washington, in the middle of everything that was going on in the city was irresistible in a lot of ways to me. So, um, you know, I actually, I had a, I had one professor my freshman year who had a requirement that you, you could either write him a term paper or you could do a 20 hour internship, you know, over the course of the semester. And so, um, my aunt actually set me up. She was working for Voice of America at the time. Um, I don't know what that is. Voice of America is part of the, um, broadcasting board of governors, which is, it's actually a government agency that's somewhat affiliated with the department of state that's responsible for communicating uh, with the rest of the world. It's, it's a little bit like the BBC World Service. Okay. Uh, a little bit not. There are some rules that they can't broadcast in the United States, for example, out of concerns for uh, propaganda, but they you know, broadcast in a variety of languages. They were broadcasting into Cuba for a long time during the Cold War. It's, it's essentially the, based on, around the idea that news and information that's truthful provided by the United States will help spread American oh, values okay. and democracy abroad. Um, anyway, she worked. They they essentially produce news, though, the same way any news organization uh, does. And or disseminated it out the through time. the world, right? Wow. So my aunt was working on their TV broadcast at the time, and she set me up with a little internship, and I did that for, um, you know, the semester. And what were you doing? Mm, at the time, again, this goes back to the internet being sort of in its <laughs> <laughs> in its infancy. Yeah. I was I, the job I ended up with for another semester was taking, they had this TV broadcast and I essentially had to take the individual spots and put them on the internet. So I would write the headline, write the caption, and then push the button that converted the file, sent it up. I mean, it was very basic stuff. But at the time, again, people were very amazed, as I'm sure you've encountered, that I knew how to use the internet um, in this kind (laughs) of aggressive way, you know. Were you stoked to be there? Um, it was, you know, it was kind of one of those things that just cropped up and yeah, it was, fu- I mean, it was interesting. It was fun. It was mm-hmm. the first time I had, you know, a job that wasn't teaching tennis lessons or babysitting, you know, or anything along those lines. Uh, but you know, it gave me something, you know, I, I didn't realize at the time, but it gave me some, you know, a little bit of experience to put on a resume so that mm-hmm. I could go into the next thing and say, Hey, like I've been gainfully employed in, in this industry in a related right. way. And yeah. You should, you know, you should hire me to, <laughs> to do something similar. Were you <laughs> watching like a lot of like journalism movies and like, was that like exciting to you like do you remember oh man like man there's so many good ones like uh shattered glass did you ever watch that i never saw shattered glass you know okay. and i was not the kid like i didn't watch um all the president's men and think oh this is like these or, like people network are or no and i didn't you know i still have not to this day seen the end of broadcast news i wow. need to go watch the end of broadcast news yeah. uh you know i i it's it's um i I wish I could say that I, I felt like it was like orchestrated and I was super inspired <laughs> yeah, to go hey, do this, no, but okay. like, that's fine. you know, like it, it just kind of, uh, it was one of those things that kind of one thing led to another, led to another. So, yeah. um, that's always the best way though. Yeah. I think. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't, I've just always tried to kind of work as hard at whatever the thing was I was doing and hoped that the next thing would pop up after that. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so far it's going okay. Yeah. So. You just kind of just gotta, <laughs> you have to like give in to the universe and just allow it to just nudge you in the spots you yeah. need to go. Yeah, to a certain extent. And, and and sometimes it you know sometimes it surprises you. So what so when you left school, did you what was your plan? Well, so that was the More first school? Of, that was the first of many um, internships that I okay. did when I was in college. So yeah. I worked. Um, in so that was kind of like a benefit of being in D.C., right? Because exactly. you had access to all these great places that you could. Yeah. So the, what I sacrificed was like a traditional, like you, went, you said, you went to Penn State. I, yeah, I you did didn't not. Miss nothing. I didn't. Well, I almost went to Michigan, and I wish I had been able to go to games at the Big House. I'm kind of a big college football fan, so I missed out. Okay. On yeah. That. that that's cool. <laughs> but like, I mean, I used to like make. I used to like make money in college by like DJing frat parties, and it was like not. 
not awesome. Fair, fair, fair. It enough. was scary. It was like it got like like the more I did, I was just like, this is this is dark, man. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, I, mm, yeah, I didn't, we did not really have fraternities at, we didn't have frats at GW, which I can't say I I was really upset about. Um, (laughs) But no, I mean, so I, I graduated from college in three years and um, I spent uh, more time working than going to class probably because I was doing these internships like half the, um, and I owe that to AP credit and the fact that I didn't want to pay four years of tuition more than I desperately needed to be out of college in three years, Uh, you know, um, but I so after the VOA thing I worked at actually my first big internship was at NBC News in the political unit and I worked for at the time a guy who is still doing a similar job and who I work with every day oh wow now at NBC um, his so name cool. is Mark Murray so small world you know kids yeah. don't, be, be nice to your internship coordinators you never know <laughs> where you're gonna end up uh, but so I did that and then he helped me get a job at National Journal Magazine. I spent nine months writing for National Journal. Then I did an internship with USA Today. Again, all because I was in D.C. So right. it was easy to kind of you know, go from one thing to the next. And then I got hired at the Associated Press as a editorial assistant, which is kind of like a junior general assignment reporter. And I started the I had to when I signed up for the job, I had to tell them, hey, like I need I need you to make sure you give me this weekend off because I got to graduate from college. <laughs> <laughs> My mom will be very upset with me if you yeah, don't, if, if yeah. you don't let me off. <laughs> for my graduation so well how did you de- how did you develop your style and approach to journalism um you know again this is one of those things that like i i wish i could tell you it's more thought out i mean the thing about journalism and reporting is that it is something that you really only learn by doing it's of not something that you learn uh, in the classroom and so for me a lot of it was the people that i happened to meet along the way who taught me how to do it and mm-hmm. who looked at my stuff and said, hey, this is how you make this better. This is what you do instead. You know, this is what you do in this situation. So I had one um, mentor in particular at, at one of my early internships whose name was Paul Singer, who was, you know, you, you know, you go into these internships sometimes, and journalism in particular, the mandate is kind of, hey, go find stories, write things, you know, look. And there's no guidebook for how to do it. And so I got sat down in this newsroom and they were like, great, like if you can find a story for the magazine, we'll publish it. And you sort of look around and you're like, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) Uh, You know, so he was the guy who kind of helped me figure out where to start. He was like, I'm writing a story about this. I I need this press conference covered. Go take your tape recorder, walk out on the, it was something, it was a protest. If I'm remembering correctly, it was a protest on a corner outside of one of the Capitol office buildings. And Mm -hmm. he said, and so I, I went out, I covered the, the protest, I came back to the office, and you know, an hour later, he comes around the corner of the cubicle, and he says, so where are my notes? And I was like, oh, well, I haven't, I haven't taken them off the tape recorder yet. He's like, what do you mean you haven't taken them off the tape recorder yet? We have a deadline. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So he was the guy who was kind of like, this is, you know, this is what you need to do, this is how you do it. Um, and then, you know... It, you just I, you just kind of have to absorb everything that kind of comes at you and and hope that it comes out right the other side. I mean, I I really the, the my real education in journalism I, was at the AP, The Wire, which mm-hmm. when I was I spent a year there as an editorial assistant. It was a job that Paul helped me get through a connection that he had, you know, in journalism. And at the time it felt like being a glorified typist because right. you were listening to all of these people talk hours and hours and hours of congressional testimony, presidential speeches. And essentially I would sit behind the writers, you know, the people who were, and of course the wire, the mandate is, listen to all this stuff that's going on, find the one thing that's the most important, put it at the top and move it out as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I was sort of tasked with knowing, you know, I was sitting there typing furiously as fast as possible behind this person, knowing that my job was, if he turned around and said, I need that quote, that was the most important quote, that I better have that quote down the right. first time. 
Um, you know, which of course at the time felt like, okay, if I could type, you know, I couldn't do this job if I could only type 50 words a minute. Um, but what it taught me how to do was hear the news and be able to, to kind of turn it, turn it around um, quickly. And, you know, the ethos of The Wire is, you know, very particular for, you know, people who are familiar with journalism. It's, um, it's something that's definitely stuck with me. I'm, I'm, I think I'm, there's going to be part of me that's always going to be kind of an old school wire reporter. Yeah, much did you to love the, the energy of that? Uh, yeah, I do. I and I yes, I do. I mean, I'm uh, to a certain extent, I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie from a news perspective, I guess. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's like when when there's when you're kind of in the middle of a big story, there's nothing else that seems to it's almost like you stop noticing everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Was the, was the plan um, you know, being like an adrenaline junkie, was the plan always to kind of stay and cover, you know, politics and issues in America? Did you want to do stuff like throughout the world? Um, you know, I originally thought I wanted to be a foreign correspondent or war, mm-hmm. war reporter because that, of course, was, you know, like I mentioned, we were going to war, right? Yeah. You know, and the, the biggest stories when I was first starting out were, you know, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, you know, and I actually, I went to graduate school overseas and I had been studying all that stuff. So I thought that that's what I wanted to do. And to a certain extent, if an opportunity like that ever came up down the line, I would, I would certainly take it. Um, or, or think about taking it anyway, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I, part of being in Washington, part of covering politics is once you catch the bug, it's really hard to shake it. Yeah. Um, and once you cover a presidential election, it's hard to find in many ways. I mean, a war, you know, wars obviously would be a bigger story. I don't, I don't want to take anything away from that. Um, you know, but it's once you're, you know, I, I covered Mitt Romney's 2012 uh, election from the campaign plane, you know, from the front wire seat on right. the plane. Uh, and once you do something like that, it's very, you know, because at the end of the day, these are also the guys that are making all of those decisions about, you know, what we're doing as a country and, you know, getting a chance to sit in the front line and, and actually get to know them a little bit as people and start to understand. Because they let their know. guard down There's when you're with them that much. Yeah, I mean. They, they kind of reveal themselves to you. Yeah, it depends very much on the on the person. I mean, some of them are, are more unguarded than others, but that's the benefit of doing it day in and day out. You, I mean, the flip side of it is you have to be careful because you're in a bubble and mm-hmm. you can very easily get kind of swept up in, oh, this is the person I see every day. And, you know, you, you don't want to end up, you know, in a position where you're rooting for them. But I think that, you know, the thing that I get to do that that is is the thing that's the most rare about what I do is mm-hmm. getting to be in very small spaces on, in periods of stress and not stress with these people who, you know, are frankly engaged in the most. It's, I think most of them would tell you it's the hardest thing that they've ever done. Yeah. Um, aside, you know, aside from dealing with a major personal crisis. I mean, it's, it's an undertaking that is just, it requires so much from you, it requires so much from the people around you. Uh, this, the level of scrutiny is so, so high that, you know, it, it really, it changes everyone who does it. And, you know, they're all also different people though as well. So, you know, you can see them react to it differently, you know, and, and for me, especially now working, you know, on TV, when you're, it changes how you come across when you interview them on camera. It's, it's much different to be able to say, Hey, you know, the small talk you're making beforehand is, Hey, remember, you know, we, we really had a rough night last night that, you know, our plane was really late. And it's just, you share kind of experience and space in a way that, is is pretty unique and unusual and also is there a bit of camaraderie between all the other folks you're you're in those spaces with sure yeah, yeah. i mean a lot of my uh 
there's I mean people joke in Washington that the press corps comes in classes based on which um as in like <laughs> which class election? of 2004 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no it makes sense I mean I've been on tour with people that I've been on tour with even for like a couple of weeks like I have a stronger friendship with them than people that I've known for years and in a certain ex- to a certain extent right you know yeah it's, it does it brings people closer together it does so I mean I have a I have very strong friendships with uh a lot of people I covered the Romney campaign in particular uh, cool. with because it was kind of our first a lot for a lot of us it was our first right uh, real real presidential campaign what uh what are the things that get you excited to talk to people when you're out you know traveling around the country i mean honestly i feel like this election in particular there's so much that everybody missed you could you just you miss so much when you're just talking to people who you know live in washington or live in new york or you live on one of the coasts and you know there are a lot of things that you know are frankly underrepresented in media whether Mm -hmm. it's you know people who are lower income or people who are religious or, you know, for me, people of color, you get a chance to, you know, be able to fully see the world through someone else's eyes, but you get a chance to push on your own assumptions and feelings about how the world works. And, you know, I've, this particular election cycle, I mean, I've, I, I spent, I was assigned to cover Jeb Bush for a while. I've covered, covered Donald Trump actually for a long time. I first interviewed Donald Trump in 20. 13 if not before mm-hmm. you know early on and you know so I've talked to people who have gone to Donald Trump rallies and then the last you know month or so I've been covering Bernie Sanders which in some ways feels like it should be polar opposite but when you actually talk to people who are there in many ways it's not it's, right yeah. in many ways it's you know people are people are upset and frustrated about the same things and a lot of them are things frankly that most people in you know, on the coast are insulated from. And, you know, especially people who've, you know, managed to make a living without having to work, um, you know, more than more than two jobs. Um, and I, it's, it's, you know, one of the things that's been illuminating for me is that that's, you know, something that's not like a, an ideological problem. There, there are certainly different, you know, ways to react to it. And people have different feelings based on their communities, based on their backgrounds, based on their party affiliation, all of it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, most people are struggling with the same set of problems. And I, and I think a lot of the, the, certainly a lot of the people that I talk to, you know, I mean, I've been a political campaign reporter, so I talk to, you, you want to refer to the quote unquote establishment. That's the kind of people that I, you know, have talked to for a long time. People who are in and around politics, in the business, in Washington, you know, our lawmakers, our members of Congress, you know, and there are a lot of people who just completely missed this. And, and we did too. A lot of the people in the media missed it too. And the only way to kind of get in touch with it is to actually go out there and, you know, take a look around. Mm-hmm. Is that, are those, is that, are those kinds of issues like something that you find yourself drawn to? Now that you, you know, now that you've kind of been in this position? Uh, I mean, look, I think, I think that this is the particular, you know, every election cycle is different. People right. care about different things at different times. This is, this happens to be the narrative of what's going on right now in the country. So, I mean, that stuff I'm drawn to. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, trying to figure out, I mean, that's what, that's what politics should be about, right? You know, so before, before you kind of got to MSNBC, you know, you were, you were, working at a bunch of different places, what was kind of going through your mind as you were making your way through? Um, you know, I, I never looked to really jump around. I mean, it, the, the way the job opportunities that I've had came to me were, you know, a combination of hard work and, yeah. and chance, you know, I mean, that, that there, were, there happened to be this job open there or a friend who was looking, you know, for, for a job over there. So, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. I, my attitude has always been take what's in front of me, work as mm-hmm. hard as I can on it and just see where it goes. I mean, 
one of the things about covering campaigns is it changes every couple of years. So, you know, to a certain extent, my life can be defined by election cycle, right. <laughs> which is very glamorous, I realize. But, um, you know, I had a little bit of luck in that. You know, when I was junior, I first of all, my my one of my first my first full time reporting job, it was. Um, I was a healthcare and labor policy reporter at a place called Congress Daily, which sounds incredibly boring. And mm-hmm. when I, you know, first took the job, I was concerned I was going to be incredibly bored. Uh, but then President Obama got elected, and he went to pass healthcare. And so this healthcare law that's now defined our politics forever is something I covered kind of day in, day out, figuring out. And that's a lot of how I got an education in in covering politics, figuring out, oh, this congressman has a hospital in his district. There's no way he's ever going to vote for this bill. You know, right. I mean, I'm oversimplifying a little bit. But, but I guess my question to that, though, like, yeah. you know, now that some time has passed, you know, why 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 are people why were people so against it? And why are people still like what was the huge uproar, in your opinion, from like, you know, spending all that time covering it on the health care bill? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it. Look, I mean, a lot of politics is still is still personality. So there's a lot of just partisan um, anger over how the president went about doing it. The fact that there were no Republicans on board. Uh, it's, it's just a very thorny, um, I, I think that in the broad sense mm-hmm. is what has driven. The I mean, obviously we can't get into the particulars. Yeah. Right now, but. I mean, you know, I could, I could bore you to tears <laughs> with, with the details of it, but I think, I think in a broad way there was, there was a lot of bad blood that was left over with how it was pushed through. I mean, if you think about, you know, most of the major things that get done in our Congress actually do happen because people on both sides of the aisle support it. And you know what that does is it gives you defenders right on, and on both sides. And, mm. you know, as the white house and the Congress go back and forth between parties, if there are people who are invested in it on both sides, there are people you can go to and say, you know, one of the things about the healthcare laws, they can't fix things that even Democrats recognize are major problems because they can't crack the bill open at all because it's such a political problem that if they go back to try to make any change, even one that everyone on both sides agrees, you know, this is a problem, uh, they can't do it because politically it's completely toxic. And you know, I think I think it's part of a larger problem. I think it's I think we were talking about people struggling income wise. I think the other thing is people do feel like Washington is so dysfunctional. And I think you're you're about to see another, you know, potentially another fight over it with the Supreme Court nominee. So I think, you know, it, it that particular thing was such that it set the tone for the entire rest of Obama's presidency. Right. You know, traveling around the country constantly, what, what is the thing that surprised you the most? Something that you kind of, we were like, oh, wow, I never had any idea about this, or a story, a person? I mean, this is going to sound super cliche, but uh, I have been surprised at how many corners of America are really beautiful. Yeah. Like, you get off a plane in a place where, and you think, oh, my God, I'm going to go stay there. I'm going to go stay at the same, you know, I, I've, I'm a Marriott person. Okay, I collect <laughs> you get Marriott, your Marriott points. rewards. Yeah, you're Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The courtyard by Marriott is a reliable place to stay in every corner of America. Uh, kind of the same. The comforters are all the same. Marriott, if you're listening, please upgrade the comforters at the courtyard. Um, but, but you know, it's it's they're just I've just been in a lot of places where you know you're driving around, you're tired, you're kind of you wish you could kind of go home and sleep in your own bed, but then right. you look out the window and you're like, wow, I had no idea that this corner of Wisconsin or Ohio or Kansas, yeah. um, you know, could be this beautiful you know so i i've just there's just been a number of times when i've i've been struck by something like that have you ever been in such a delirious state where you didn't really know where you were yes. at that moment yes very often <laughs> i would say most mornings i wake up I'm, I'm like where is which hotel am i in right now why am i why is that phone blaring at me yeah <laughs> what is it i have to get up and do yes it's it, it's very disorienting <laughs> what, what do you enjoy most about covering presidential races uh i like being in in the in the front row to to history i mean 
look, I, you know, as a journalist, I feel like, you know, our, our job is to kind of cover, to cover things and tell people what's going on and not to be a part of the conversation. But I have to right. say that, you know, one of the things I like is being able to, you know, at, when you ask a question, have it drive what's going on. So, you know, I had an interview with Bernie Sanders the other day and I asked him, he said that there was a leadership gap uh, that was causing problems between the president and Congress. And I said, you don't think President Obama's closed that gap? And he said, no, I don't. And several hours after we aired that interview, Hillary Clinton was standing on the debate stage talking about, hey, you know, that guy over there said there was a presidential leadership gap. He's not, you know, he's not on board with President Obama. Right. And that's, you know, one of those moments where you go, hey, you know, that's... You're in the conversation. You're that's, there. Yeah. You know, th- th- this conversation is going on because of, you know, I, I thought to ask this question right. in this moment. So that's my favorite part about the job. That's so cool. That's really cool. Um, why, why does it feel like madness, though, right now? Like, why are we in this situation? Because it is. <laughs> but does, I mean, is it something that, like, it's like one of those things where, like, you kind of forget, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like, for, we forgot, like, how crazy it was, like, four years ago that now all of a sudden we're like, oh, the, you know, like, when winter comes around, everybody's like, oh, this is the coldest one. But it's like, no, 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 it was cold a year ago. You just don't remember. Yeah, I but don't does, think that's the case. In this, it this it time. feels like an, an increasing level of. I, I mean, look, I think that people who've been watching and doing this for many, many years are just cannot believe what's happening. I was having a, a conversation yesterday with with somebody who's, I who shall remain nameless, but yeah, who um you know has been involved for quite some time. Who and the conversation is is not really around just oh who's going to win who's going to lose which is how it always is the conversation is around is this political party going to survive yeah is the republican party going to like implode it's you know possible yeah it's possible uh you know and and i think and again we were talking a little bit about this before the the mood of the country is just such that it it feels much more like the whole thing the whole system is on the edge of something that nobody quite understands yet but the the level of frustration and anger with with how things have been is so high that it just seems like we're headed for something that we don't you know totally understand maybe we haven't seen something like this before yeah i mean yeah uh, yeah close in our life certainly in modern times yeah you know you mentioned donald trump before now you got hit with his uh misinformed wrath (laughs) what exactly happened with that and what did that feel like? Uh, well, um, I mean, look, like I said, I've covered Donald Trump for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, to a certain extent, you just got to let this stuff roll off your back. I mean, it, you know, it is what it is. I, uh, you know, I interviewed Trump the day he announced in his office on Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. um, at a time when it was actually much harder to get interest in airing things Donald Trump said on TV, because at the time everybody was still, you know, viewing him more as an entertainer than anything else. Uh, you know, and he had just made those comments about, you know, Mexicans being... Uh, rapists. rapists and yeah. you know so i asked him about that in our interview and you know we did a little bit of joking around too we uh you know we joked about we did a little piece on his cologne called success we asked a bunch of people who came to the announcement whether or not <laughs> what they thought the cologne smelled like uh <laughs> you know it's it's been that kind of election cycle no uh but look i mean you just you gotta you know you gotta roll with it it's I'm in good company as far as, you know, the, other, the, the list of people that, that Donald Trump has had negative th- things to say about is pretty long. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, do you ever, when you're interviewing, like, a candidate or someone and you hear them give you kind of this canned response, do you ever just want to, like, look in their eyes and be like, that's, that's bullshit. Like, tell me what you really, <laughs> why don't you just tell me what you really mean or what you really feel? Um, yeah. I mean, look, you know, you have to. I, I always try to treat people with respect, and one of the things I've I've found in asking questions is that 
one of the things that can disarm people is actually being respectful about it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the best way to get them to push people off their talking points is to stop talking. I'm sure you found this too as you're interviewing people. If you, you know, you say something and then you stop and you look at them. And then they just have, they have to fill that silence. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's also, I will tell you, um, one of the reasons why I think building personal relationships with these people that you cover, and a personal relationship is the wrong word, but, but, but you know, getting to know them a little bit, you know, being a little bit more comfortable with them, because you can then ask a question that yields a more human answer uh, than the piece of paper that their aide has given them that right. says, hey, here are the safe things right. that you can say in this interview. In terms of having stamina, like I'm covering all this, um, you know, is it one of those things where, like, it, 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 as long as you don't get off the train, like, you're fine. But, like, if there's, like, that moment when you get off, you're just, like, you can't get back on. Does it feel like that ever? Uh, occasionally, yeah. yes. I, I had, like, uh, most of a weekend, which I was not expecting to have. And <laughs> uh, like, the next a, day, my body was like, yeah. what? Yeah. What are we doing now? <laughs> I can't go back to doing that. Yes. Do, do you think that um, the Internet is something that um, has been better or worse for the political system? Hmm. I mean, I think it's been mixed, but I think on the whole, uh, in many ways, it's worse because I think it's helping to drive a lot of the, the polarization that we're seeing. And, you know, just in switching back and forth between covering Republicans and covering Democrats, mm-hmm. even watching my own social media feeds, Twitter, people are having conversations with each other and only with each other. And right. that's it. Right. And the speed with which the information is moving leads people to completely misconstrue, misunderstand, blow out of proportion. Um you know, it, it also, I think, makes it, you know, some of it's the internet, but a lot of it is the proliferation of, of channels and the way people consume media. There's there's just a lot less um, commonality, hey, we're all in this right. enterprise together right. kind of attitude. I mean, if, you know, I, I, there's... I don't, I don't want to indulge too much in the tendency we all have to be nostalgic for the way things used to be. No, no. But, you know, I think it's it's much, much harder to kind of feel like feel like you're a part of a country that is trying to make a decision instead everyone is is in these little separate groups angry They're on about like curated avenues different... because you can have control over what you kind of stuff you want to take in right you know i mean i'm even i've de- i've definitely done that you know like even something stupid as facebook when you know people that i went to high school with would start putting up like you know things that i didn't agree with or racist shit i was like okay unfollow and so now all my feed is just all bernie sanders stuff and i'm just like <laughs> it's annoying me just as much almost in a way right with just like the constant push so it's like i we're all victims of it, you know, to a certain degree, I think, you know? I, I, I mean, yeah. Because I, I want to hear other people's points of view, right. you know? And I, I mean, I think it's part of what's driven the, you know, politicians to miss what's actually going on in the country also because, you know, you're just, when they're all listening to each other and they're caught up in their own kind of world and, and what the fight of the day is and, and how things work, you know, you miss the actual, you know, conversation that's going on among, you know, people who are in theory supposed to be, you know, making up, who are making up the, the, the country. And so, right. you know, I think it's just easy to get caught up talking to people who think the same things you do. Yeah. Well, how do you see yourself fitting into the, the world of journalism? Oh, well, that's a big question. Um, how do I see myself fitting in? I, I mean, look, I, 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 maybe I'm expressing too much faith in the system mm-hmm. when I kind of look at it, but, you know, I sort of see my job as, you know, trying to give people who are ultimately making these decisions about who they're going to vote for, who they want to run the country, who, like, if their kid's going to join the army, who's going to push the button that's going to send them to war, all that stuff, to give them the information that they need to actually make that decision. And, 
you know, in an age when Donald Trump can tweet and send our, you know, cable news channels into, you know, uh, a day of coverage, basically, you yeah. know, that that's it's it's in many ways a brave new world. And I mean, Donald Trump has talked himself about how, you know, all of his opponents have to go and do these interviews and all he has to do is beep, 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 pl- right. click some stuff out on his phone. You know, I mean, the system is is much different. And, and I think all of us are kind of grappling with that. But, you know, I, I'd like to be able to, you know, kind of just help people understand a little bit about who these people are that they're trying to elect. I think that's important. I think sometimes that can get lost in kind of the grand. Um, I mean, that's something that I think that I like to focus on that is a little that, you know, it's not unique, but it's, you know, other journalists, I think, have different focus or have different interests. I mean, I'm I'm very interested in like the human side of of who are these candidates, what makes them tick, what makes them make the kinds of decisions that they do, because I think that that stuff is important um, to how they're into understanding how they would govern the country. Yeah. What would have been the tough moments for you? You know, working as a journalist, Mm. trying to make it, trying to succeed, trying to do the best job you can. I think my biggest panic attack was the first time I ever had a correction on the wire because I made a mistake in a story. I transposed (laughs) a couple of numbers on, uh, God, I can't even remember the details. It was a report, you know, a standard government report that they put out every year that was very important for a certain reason and I mixed up the numbers and the numbers were wrong and somebody called and said hey these numbers are wrong and I had to put out you know under my name correction and I was working for a boss who was had famously fired a previous editorial assistant for having a correction and so I spent a good 48 hours in a panic that something really terrible was going to happen um you know that was not fun I also uh I did um when I was covering Mitt Romney in uh, 2012, I went on the foreign trip with him. He went he went to Israel and Poland and England. And if you were paying attention, you might remember that um, he made some mistakes about, he talked about security at the Olympic Games and it caused a big problem for him. And then we flew to Israel and he did a fundraiser at the King David Hotel. And in the fundraiser, he said something along the lines of, uh, part of the reason why the Palestinians aren't as well off as the Israelis is because of culture. And so we wrote that, you know, on on the newswire, and we took off for Poland. And when we landed, uh, the AP Bureau in Jerusalem had called the Palestinians and said, hey, what do you think of this remark that Romney made? And a representative for the Palestinians called him a racist. So there was a lead on the wire that said, you know, Mitt Romney says this, and then the Palestinians call him a racist, right. again, all under, under my name. So that, of course, set off. Romney himself read the story. Um, initially, the campaign wasn't sure it was going to be an issue, and then he read it and was very upset about it. And, you know, what ensued was, you know, a lot of pressure, a lot of back and forth, you know, at, at a very, very high level, you know, and a lot of pressure from campaign operatives to take it back. You know, he had said, excuse me, he had written something in his book, about it similar so the campaign says oh he said this before it's not news of course one of the things you know you learn quickly as a journalist is that context matters a lot so mm-hmm. putting something in a book is one thing you know saying it when you're the nominee for the republican party and you're standing in israel talking about these issues right. it's quite another so you know it ended up being on the front page of the new york times and the washington post and leading all the newscasts it just so happened that i was the only one who noticed it because there was a small pool of reporters in the room at the time so we had written it and that was you know a lesson in the power of the wire and also, you know, kind of a, a crucible, I would say, of having to, you know, just 
just know and and insist that no actually i heard what i heard and i'm yeah. i'm right about this yeah um you know when there's a lot of pressure coming to bear to make you change what you what you've done wow what uh ultimately what did you walk away from that experience feeling like um you know it i, I have to say it was one of the more stressful things <laughs> that i've ever um that I've been through from a professional perspective. Uh, well, they, they're trying you know, to like attack you in a way? Or? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're trying to push back and say, hey, you know, you're, you know, I mean, I have to be kind of a little bit careful about, you know, what I, what I get into on that front. But, sure. um, you know, essentially pushing back saying this is, you know, this is overblown. This is somebody who, you know, hasn't, hasn't done this enough. There was a lot of pressure on other people to, you know, adjust the, you know, there, there were some, campaign operatives who did interviews in the press afterward about it uh you know so it just seems like you were talking about the cia earlier just talking (laughs) campaign operatives yes exactly i just um i mean look conjures a certain (laughs) one thing is you know the thing about campaigns is you build relationships with these people who work for these candidates and you it's easy to forget that they're not your friends right uh and so you know, I mean, you always know that in your head, but again, you know, you're all flying around on the same plane. You're all experiencing the same things. You're all, you know, um, there's a bond there, whether or not, you know, right. You're on either side of the playing the, some game or whatever you want to call it. Right. But you have to remember that at the end of the day, the people that work for the campaign itself is, you know, working for the candidate. And if you find yourself on the wrong side of that, it's you that's going under the bus. Yeah. What, what are, what are the things that like still inspire you to, to keep going forward? I just, I love it. Yeah. It's like, I, it's just your thing. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, uh, I mean, this is, you know, for me, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's what it's about. It's, it's what, um, you know, it's the future of the country. It's the stuff that's going to get written down in the history books. It's, you know, one of these guys is going to end up running the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, you know, I, I, I just, I think it's really important and I, you know, I can't imagine, I can't imagine not doing it. How, how do you feel, how do you see the journalism is changing and, and how do you want to be involved in that change? Well, I mean, I think we've seen a lot of change already, particularly for newspapers. I think, uh, you know, there's still a lot in television that we're going to have to grapple with because I think people, you know, I mean, people younger than I am, people my age don't necessarily watch cable TV. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of fundamental you know, change at the industry level. But I also am a very strong believer that what matters at the end of the day is the content you have, the, the what you're reporting, and the stories that you are telling. And mm-hmm. I think that that is something that is common to all people that is going to continue to be. Um, th- and that was, you know, when, when I was starting out and everybody wanted to hire me because I knew how to use the internet, I always resisted it. And I took these very traditional uh, reporting jobs, basically, at old school, frankly, news organizations. And I am so happy that I did because what I learned were, you know, very basic, you know, this is how you go out, find information, and then you know, tell it to people. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and I've, I've done it in, you know, I've, I've worked for wires. I've worked for internet websites. I've worked for magazines. I've worked for newspapers. And I've, now I've worked for TV networks. I work for cable and broadcast. And, you know, it's the same, I'm doing the same thing every day, you know, like, like figuring out how to repackage it is different, but I'm doing the same thing now right. as I was doing when I was running around getting quotes and covering the healthcare bill on the Hill for a tiny newsletter, you know, um, and so I, th- I remain f- convinced that there will always be a market for that, no matter how journalism changes. Yeah. Uh, last question. I couldn't, I couldn't. 
Normally, I get, I get that called in me. <laughs> Last question. Uh, what's next for you? You know, I would love to know. Uh, I would love to know who's going to occupy the White House in November. Uh, I think that will, you know, may have something to do with it. But, you know, look, I, you know, I'd like to continue doing what I'm doing. I'd like to, you know, cover the next president and the next Congress and, yeah. and see, see what happens. And, um, you know, I, I love, you know, NBC is a place where, you know, you can do a lot of different things across a lot of different platforms. You know, I haven't had to stop writing. I can write for the web. I can, right. we have cable, we have, you know, our broadcast. It's, um, you know, so like I said, I, I love it. I don't, I don't see myself doing anything other than this for a while. That's great. So, uh, Casey Hunt, thank you so much. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah, it was awesome. Awesome. <laughs>